0: The book of Philemon. Some of you may have never heard that before. It may take you a minute to find it because it's not quite a full page in your Bible. Book of Philemon, uh, let me give you some help. It would be Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Titus, Philemon. And if you get to uh, Hebrews, you've gone too far. It's only one page. 25 verses. So for the past year, we've been going through Exodus, which is 40 chapters. There's only one chapter, and it's a short chapter. So the book of Philemon. We're going to spend about three weeks going through it. It's very unique. And I think it's very challenging. But it's... Uh, It's in the Bible for a reason, and I think as we get into it, you're going to see that reason. So the book of Philemon, so just some background, this is the only personal letter that Paul wrote. So Paul wrote other letters like the book of Romans, to the church at Rome, he wrote to Timothy and Titus who were pastors, but Philemon is a personal letter that shows uh, sort of the interaction that Paul had as a person with someone that he knew. It's almost like a postcard, someone called it. It's the, only, it's the only personal letter that Paul writes. There's only one other personal letter in the Bible, uh, which John wrote and I think, Third John. So in the in this, when he's writing this, Paul is in prison. He is chained to a Roman guard, because that's how they did it back then, because he preached the gospel and was causing trouble for preaching. And the Roman government says, you can't do that, so we're going to lock you up. So he's he's tied to a Roman uh, jailer, he's writing this letter, and he's writing it to someone in another city, maybe another country, called Philemon, hence the title of the book is called Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy uh, slave owner and a powerful person in his culture. He had a church in his house, because at that time they didn't have buildings for churches. If you imagine back before, churches were a thing. He just went to someone's house. He had a big house. So Philemon had a big house, so the church was in his house. And Paul is writing about a slave that Philemon had bought by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus had run away, and he'd come to Paul. So Paul is writing to Philemon about the slave. We'll get into that in the next couple of weeks, but we're going to look at in this sermon, the first seven verses, and we're going to see a little bit about Philemon and Paul's relationship with him. So look at verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved, to the beloved Apia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Does Christian love really work? I mean, does it really work? Not normal, but when things get tough, when real problems come up among people, does Christian love work then? Does Christianity work when everything's not going your way? Most of the time we see Christianity in practice, it's just sort of normal, you know, just come to church, enjoy, leave. But what about when you've got deep, serious divides, see, deep, serious needs? What does Christian love look like in practice so what Philemon's going to talk about. So we're going to see three things. We're going to see love, because that's the whole point of Philemon is about love, really the whole point of the Bible, about the love of God. We're going to see love with action, love from grace, and love for Christ. So love with action, love from grace, and love for Christ. So in the first point, we see love with action. Paul is writing to Philemon. But he's also writing to the church. Notice he says he writes to the church in your house. And he's kind of writing to all of us, too. And so he's saying, well, who is Philemon? Why would the Apostle Paul, leader of the church, uh, God's own representative at this time, why would he write to Philemon? What can Philemon teach us about being a Christian? So we see Philemon's example. Look at verse 5. Paul says, "I, I give thanks, hearing of your love and faith. When people heard about Philemon, they heard about his love and his faith. Paul's hearing this in another country, in jail. So Philemon had some sort of lifestyle where everyone knew about his love and his faith. So it says love and faith towards Christ. So he has faith in Christ. He believed who Jesus was, and people knew that about him. You see the challenge here? If another church in another country heard about our church, and you particularly, what would they hear? Would they hear about your love and your faith? Would they say, oh, they're believers. I've heard about them. When I hear about them, this is what I hear. So Philemon is someone whose love and his faith towards Christ is known and towards all the saints. You see, it's interesting. Your love and faith, which you have towards Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. You see how the conjunction works? How'd they hear about his love and his faith? Who told him? The people who saw it in practice. See, Philemon didn't have a private faith. He had a personal faith, but he didn't have a private faith. There's no such thing as private love. Love works outward. And Philemon's love was true, and it was seen because he loved, he loved Jesus. But how would that look? It looked like he loved the church. So his love towards Christ became love to the church, to the people, to those who also believed in Christ. So this sermon is really for believers, for Christians. Everything we're going to talk about today is for those who have been changed by Christ. If you haven't been changed by Christ, if you're sort of on the outskirts looking in, and I don't mean of the church, I mean of the faith, this is to show you what Christianity looks like. But if you're in it, this is for you. So there's a divide here. This is a, a message for Christians and also to show the world what Christianity looks like. So if you are a Christian, this is for you, but also as you can explain to other people. So what does it look like to be a Christian? You love Christ, and therefore, you love all the saints. Now, Philemon here didn't have sort of a superficial love. It was active love. It was doing something. Christianity can be seen in this world by the actions and the behavior of Christians who love. And if it can't be seen, it's not Christianity. Martin Luther King says, We must come to see that the gospel is a two-way road. On the one side, it seeks to change the souls of men and thereby unite them with God. That's the gospel. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and you'll be united with God. That is Christianity. And on the other side, it seeks to change the environmental condition of men so that the soul will have a chance after it changed. We might call this justification and sanctification. Any religion which professes to be concerned with the souls of men and yet is not concerned with their economic and social conditions that strangle them and the social conditions that cripple them is the kind the Marxists describe as an opiate of the people. That opiate of the people means it's a drug you take to make you feel better. Any Christianity that only cares about saving your soul and does not care about your life around that is not Christianity. It's a drug that just makes you feel good on the inside, but doesn't produce anything. So Philemon is known, not just for someone who loved God, who sort of spoke the right words, but someone who actually did something about it. That's true Christianity. He loved actively. Why? Why did he love this way? And why why is he being given to us as an example of that love? Because there's a need. It was necessary for God to put Philemon there because there were people that needed Philemon's love. There's a necessary place. So look at verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Now, if they were refreshed... What happened before he got there? They were tired. They were weak. They were hungry. They were lonely. They were poor. They're despondent. There was a need. What filled the need? The love of Christ through a Christian. You see, the love is necessarily active because there are people who need to be loved, who need to be helped. A love that just speaks words and doesn't do anything ignores people. Richard Allen, who was born a slave, uh, his master uh, received the gospel and his heart was changed, and so he, he uh, freed him and gave him, his, he let him buy his freedom. Richard Allen went to a church, uh, Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia. So he's already had a hard life, right? Then the church says, because you're black, we don't really want you here. You gotta sit in these separate seats. We don't really like you here. So eventually Richard Allen and other freed slaves said, We can't worship here because you don't want us. So he leaves and starts what we call the African Methodist Episcopal Church. This is about 1790. And then he has his prayer recorded. Now, the background's because this man knows suffering, but it also means that he sees needs. And so he says, Whosoever loves desires the welfare and happiness of the beloved object. But thou, O dear Jesus, canst receive no addition from my imperfect services. What shall I do to express my affections towards thee? See, that's what Philemon, Philemon loved Jesus, but Jesus doesn't need anything from Philemon. So what's this act of love? Look forward. So Richard Allen says, I will relieve the necessities of my poor brethren who are members of thy body. For the he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he hath not seen? You see, when you love Jesus, you realize Jesus doesn't need your good works. So Jesus says, so that you can show your love, I'm going to put people in need in your life so you can show them love. There are people who have needs. And Christians out of love should leap to the chance to show the love of Christ to them. In real practical ways, like Philemon did. See, Philemon sacrificed. How would you like to meet every week in your house for church? I mean, you see the mess these kids make, right? So when when Philemon says, I want to help, the pastor said, great, can we meet in your house? Every week, everybody shows up at your house. You see, that's the kind of love that Philemon had. It wasn't like, well, I'll help. I'll show up, you know, and maybe do some things. He said, no, I'll just open my house up. He said, I will make it so uncomfortable so that other people can be reached. Now, at this time, if you were poor and you went to someone's house, who fed you? You didn't bring your food. The rich house owner fed you. So Philemon here is making sacrifices for love. And Paul says, people should know about this. People should be aware that the love of Christ Produces, what does he call Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Mm -hmm. Labor means sacrifice. Labor means work, giving up, striving. That's who Philemon was. Mm -hmm. And as a result, he refreshed the hearts. But there's something else going on here. So that's the love with action. But who is Philemon? Philemon is a slave owner. He lives in a patriarchal society where he represents his family. He owns them. And he's the example? The slave owner is the example for Christians? Wait a minute. The man who owns his wife and children and other people is now supposed to be a Christian model for all of us? Is that the kind of Christianity we want? You see how the Bible challenges us? So what do we do about this fact that we can't overlook that Philemon is being praised here for his love while owning people? That's the whole point of this book is that he owned Onesimus and Onesimus ran away. And Paul's telling Onesimus to go back to his slave condition, to his slave owner. So it's one thing to love people in need who need money or food or a place to live. But you see, the Bible doesn't stop there, does it? It says you need to love the slave owner. You need to love the oppressor. You need to love the one who's got their boot on your neck. Whoa. Wait a minute. I love the poor. But that's it. See, the Bible's love does not let you get out because you don't like someone, or even because someone is doing the wrong thing. See, You don't just need love with action. You need love from grace. So let's look at Paul's example here. Where is Paul right now? He's in prison. He knows what oppression feels like. He's not just sort of sitting back on his southern Spain estate, writing this nice letter. He's chained to another person for years. He's being oppressed and eventually killed by the Roman government. So when Paul writes... He's writing to an oppressor from an oppressed position. That's different, isn't it? I want to hear what Paul has to say about love. Paul says, Philemon, you're our beloved friend. Why did Paul love Philemon? Because Philemon was a Christian. That's it. Because Otherwise, there's plenty of reasons not to love Philemon. You see, Paul is friends with Philemon's slave. And when you make friends with someone's slave and you identify with them, it's really hard to love their slave owner. So how does Paul do it? Paul recognizes that there's a bond between Christians that transcends evil. It transcends the evil that the people do. D.A. Carson says... Ideally, the church itself is not made up of natural friends, it is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together, not because they form a natural location, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him the common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in the light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who will love one another for Jesus' sake. Do you want unity among people without forcing them into the same box? There has to be something underneath all the different cultures, all the different religions, all the di- something Has to be binding everyone together. And it can't be one culture or another. It can't be one economic status or another. It has to be something that transcends all of them. We want a multicultural church? That means there has to be something bigger than culture. We want to love the slave owner? How? By something bigger than their evil acts. That is Christ. See, the love of Christ changes us so that we can love all Christians. All of them, even the ones who do the wrong thing, because it's not their behavior that causes us to love them. It's God's behavior to us. God loves them, so we love them. So Philemon's a Christian, so Paul loves him. Yes, Philemon is a sinner, and that shouldn't be overlooked, but the sin of Philemon, the sin of slave-owning, the sin of oppression, the sin of patriarchy makes the love of Christ stand out even more and shows us what true Christianity looks like. It means loving your enemy, loving your oppressor. Martin Luther King, in his book, The Strength of Love, written after he had, his house had been blown up, he'd been stabbed, his shotguns had been fired into his home, attempted murders. He writes this, we must not seek to defeat or humiliate the enemy, but to win his friendship and understanding. where did Martin Luther King get that? He got it from Paul, the oppressed, saying to Philemon, the oppressor, I want to be your friend. I want to show you what love looks like so that you will do the right thing after I love you. King says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Every other force that is good and just destroys the enemy. It destroys evil. But love transforms evil people into friends. You see, this is so radical. This is why we listen to Martin Luther King, who knew oppression. Listen to what he says. I hesitate to say this because I don't come from a position where he, or I understand what he's saying. He says, there will be no permanent solution to the race problem. So this is 1963. Until oppressed men develop a capacity to love their enemies. The darkness of racial injustice will be dispelled only by the light of forgiving love. Does that sound just to you? That the oppressed has to love the oppressor first? No, it's not just. It's love. Paul is reaching out to Philemon, saying, I will love you. So that you'll be different. So that's what Martin Luther King was saying. He says, Those of us who have the capacity to love must first love their enemies, they must sacrifice. This is why Christianity is radical. Uh, some of you may remember the band Nazareth. The song they sang captured this in musical form Love hurts, love scars. Love Wounds and Love Mars. Why do we like that? Why do we know that song? Because we know it's true. We sense it. We feel it. Christianity doesn't get you out of stuff. It puts you into it. It doesn't get you away from oppression. It puts you into it. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he was saying, lean into oppression. Suffer. Don't destroy those who cause suffering. Love them. Love your enemies. That's what Paul is doing. He's loving someone who should have been his enemy. Miroslav Volf, who grew up in uh, what was formerly Yugoslavia, as a, I think he was uh, Czech. If you know about the Balkan wars, the Balkan problems, he grew up in that. He says, at the core of the Christian faith lies the persuasion that the others need not be perceived as innocent in order to be loved, but ought to be embraced even when they are perceived as wrongdoers. As I read it, the story of the cross is about God who desires to embrace precisely the sons and daughters of hell. Paul says, Philemon, you're a son of hell but you've accepted Christ, and that doesn't matter anymore, so I'm going to love you despite your evil. And God calls us to do the same thing. When you see an oppressor, you do seek justice for the oppressed, but then you love the oppressor. That's tough, isn't it? That's why I've used these examples of of men who knew oppression for real and yet still love men who were beaten men who would be assassinated yet chose to love why did they choose to love because they were christians yes. there's no other answer Amen. because the love of god had been given to them and they turned around and they loved others you see that's the third point here it's not love with just with love with action or love from grace it's love for christ without christ this doesn't work Look what he says here in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to change, in order to love, you must first be loved. And where does the love come from that allows you to love people so different from you? The love that calls you to give up everything you own to help other people. It must come from the very source of love itself. The love that would cause a slave to love a slave owner must come from God. And that's what's being given here. Paul is saying, grace to you from Christ. You can receive that love first. And that's what you must do. First, Christ loved us. Before anything else, before any love we share, before any mercy we give, any forgiveness, we first must be loved. Paul knew this, perhaps better than anyone else on earth. He knew the love that had been given to him from Christ. Christ, the endless source of love, gives it all to us, gives us grace. See, grace is ability. Grace is gifts, the gift of love, the gift of forgiveness. Can you not forgive? You need grace. You need to be given that ability. And that only comes from Christ. But in this scripture, uh, passage, we see it being given. You don't have to work for it. It's grace. Grace to you, Philemon slave owner who needs to change. It's being given to you. You see, Paul is thankful for the slave owning Philemon. Why? Because Philemon is showing love. He is showing love. And so Paul is thankful for the amount of grace that that Philemon is showing he's saying, I'm going to celebrate when you act like Jesus. When you show love, I'm going to point it out. I'm going to be happy when you do the right thing. But Paul doesn't stop there. And this is important. When you love someone who is living in sin, you go further. So Paul says in verse four, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayer. And what does he mention? That's in verse six, that the sharing or the fellowship or the The love that you're sharing of the faith may become effective. The word effective there means energized. By the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. You see, Paul knew that Philemon had work to do. Philemon owned slaves. That's not loving. And so Paul says, I'm glad for what you've done. And now I'm praying that you will continue forward. That you will be energized. Energized. To show more love. And that's what the rest of the book is about. Show love, not just to the church, but to the slaves in the church, to your own slave who's stolen from you. See, Paul's not content to leave him where he is. So many times the Christian church calls people to love, and when they show a little bit, we're done. Especially if we're okay with it and it doesn't affect us. Paul is not content to leave Philemon where he is. So he prays for growth and love. He says, How will you grow to love even your slaves? By the acknowledgement of every good thing. Now, the word acknowledgement there really means like fuller knowledge, a deeper knowledge. Colossians 1, Colossians was written at the same time to the same people by same messengers as Philemon. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge, same word, of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. You see, Philemon's slave owning was not walking worthy. How was Paul going to change that? This is profound because he doesn't tell him, be a better person. He says, you need to change, how? By knowing more of what Christ has done for you. How will Philemon show the kind of love that will break the bonds that have been put on that society since the beginning of time? By learning and knowing what Christ had done for them. When you know what Christ has done for you and how Christ loved you, and then you see someone else who you are oppressing, you can't oppress them anymore. So the only reason Philemon was oppressing slaves was because he didn't know what had been done for him. So we as Christians, when we see oppression, what do we do? We point out the love of Christ and then call for them to respond appropriately. Paul prays because he knows that he can't change Philemon's heart. He can't change him into a loving person, but God can, and he does it through the gospel. So the gospel, the grace comes from Christ, it's shared to the people, you see, the love was given to Philemon for the church, for the body of Christ. If you say you love God and you don't love the church, you don't love God. If you don't love Christ, if you love Christ, you're going to love the body of Christ. So it's love for all of us. See, that's what Paul is poking here. He's saying, Philemon, we know you love people, and you know that Christ loved all of us. Do you love all of us? Do you really love all of us? And he goes on, do you love Onesimus? But what's the point of all this? You see, this isn't just about creating a just society. This isn't about relieving oppression. This is returning back to the source of where it came from. If the love came from Christ, it's not just to stop with us and create a healthy society. Look in verse 6. The sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. Now that word in means more like unto, unto. Some translations have to the glory of. Why did Paul want Philemon to free his slaves? So that Philemon would look good, so that the slaves would be free? No, so that Christ would be glorified. You see, to be a Christian, you must ultimately be concerned about Jesus. If that's not the motivation, you're not a Christian. A Christian is a follower of Christ, not a follower of Christians. And if you're following Christians because they're doing the right thing, that doesn't make you a Christian. If you're a follower of Christ, though, despite what you do, you're a Christian. And so here Paul is telling Philemon, do the right thing because Jesus. Show love for Jesus. Jesus, the one who loved you, now you can show love back to him. You can glorify him. And that right there, doesn't make sense, but will change the world and has changed the world. That kind of love makes slaves love their slave owners. Now, Roman slavery was bad. But it reached new levels with American slavery. America created a new kind of slavery that had never been known before. Race-based chattel slavery was a new kind. Slaves were humans in the Bible in the Roman times. But in America, they were not treated as, they're dehumanized. Does Christianity work for that? I'll end with this. From 1816, a slave woman's prayer. O oh Lord, bless my master. When he calls upon thee to damn his soul, do not hear him, but hear me. Save him. Make him know that he is wicked, and he will pray to thee. I am afraid, O Lord. I have wished him bad wishes in my heart. Keep me from wishing him bad, though he whips me and beats me sore. Tell me of my sins, and make me pray more to thee. Make me me more glad for what thou hast done for me, poor Negro. That only comes from Jesus. Let's pray.